Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live.
Good morning. This is your early morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Our morning scripture is coming from Ezekiel, on this chapter, verses 1 through 10. Reads, excuse me, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, The man say unto the prince, Iris, Thus said the Lord God, because thy heart lifted up, and thou hast said, I am, I am a God. God, in the midst of thee, thou art a man, and not God. So, so thou set thy heart. As the heart of God. Oh, thou art wiser than Daniel. No secret that they can hide from thee. Thy wisdom, thy understanding, has gotten the riches and has gotten gold and silver into thy treasure. By thy grace, wisdom, and by thy traffic, hast thou increased thy riches, and heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore, thus said the Lord God, because thou hast set thy heart at the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers unto thee, 
trouble of the nations. They shall draw thy, their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom. Bow thy brightness down die in the depths of that of them that are slain in the midst of the sea. What thou yet say before thee I am I am God, but thou should be a man. No God in the hand him that slayeth with thee and thou shalt die in the death by the hand of the strangers for I have spoken it but you chapter 28 of the book of Ezekiel verses 1 through 10 A reading from the book of Ezekiel. Good morning to you and yours. And thanks for listening. Tuning in and downloading us. This is Jam Radio 2.1. On this TGIF Friday. Good morning.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
on Jam Radio 2.1. And good morning. This is the early morning gospel program. Morning Spiritus. Morning Spiritus on Jam Radio 2.1. Now time for our morning prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning saying, Thank you. Thank you for one more day. Thank you for one more day. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for keeping us and sustaining us throughout the night. Now it's morning. You kept your angels kept around us. I'm in danger. Thank you, Lord. It's now morning, Lord. We we say thank you. Thank you for your angels. Watch over us day and night. So we lift up those, Lord, who who are listening to us live by way of podcast. We lift up, we lift up those, Lord, who are commuting back and forth to their various destinations. We lift up those, Lord, in hospital and hospice and nursing homes and those who who don't know you to part their sins, Lord. We lift up those, Lord, who who I need, those, Lord, who who are homeless, those, Lord, who can't find a place to stay, those, Lord, who Put out of their apartments, Lord. Especially those, Lord, who have families, children. Can't seem to find which which, which way to go. Mercy upon them, Lord. Help the 
Back at the top of the hour. Stay tuned for more gospel special music on J Radio 2.1 Morning Inspirations. The doctrine of the Trinity is a celebration of the triumph of the infinite hues of complexity over a monochromatic simplicity. It's the reminder that the central metaphor for God, for Christians, is a diversity encapsulated within a unity. That's the right Reverend Dean Wolf, and today he brings you a challenging message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to welcome the Right Reverend Dean Wolf, the Ninth Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Kansas, headquartered in Topeka. An active leader in the National Episcopal Church, Dean is a graduate of Miami University of Ohio and earned his Master of Divinity and Doctor of Divinity degrees from Virginia Theological Seminary. Before becoming bishop nearly 10 years ago, he served as Vice Rector of St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Dallas, Texas, and earlier served churches in Massachusetts and California. Bishop, thanks for being with us. My privilege. Introduce us to the Diocese of Kansas. What does it comprise? The the Diocese of Kansas is the eastern half of Kansas, uh, 46 congregations, uh, two community service agencies, a parochial school, 
uh, roughly 12,000 Episcopalians in 46 congregations uh, around the eastern part of the state. And in addition to overseeing your flock, you are involved in a number of community leadership roles. Tell us about those efforts. I sit on several boards. Probably the one most important to me is sitting on the Bishop Seabury Academy Board, where we have an opportunity to provide faith-based education uh, to a wonderful group of students. As bishop, what aspects of ministry do you seek to emphasize or foster? Our focus in the Diocese of Kansas is on uh, forming transformational leaders. Uh, we're doing that in a variety of ways. Um, the Kansas School for Ministry is a, a program uh, whereby we can uh, train uh, leadership for uh, rural communities, small towns, but also uh, leadership for some of our larger and urban churches, uh, people training for the diaconate, the priesthood, and then people who want to um, be more um, grounded in their own uh, Christian faith and journey as lay people. And you are involved in a variety of leadership roles at the national level of the Episcopal Church. You serve as vice president of the House of Bishops. You're a coach for new bishops, a delegate to the World Council of Churches, and a member of the presiding bishops council of advice, among other roles. Sounds like you keep pretty busy. I do. It's a great privilege to work with our presiding bishop and with uh, the team of people that uh, work around her. Um, she's very inspirational and uh, it's a great joy to work with her. How do you see your purpose, your unique gifts, and fulfilling these leadership responsibilities? Well, I th that's a good question. I think there's something about uh, Midwesterners that um, we have a, a, an ability to find middle ground. Mm. Uh, a lot of the ministry I have done uh, as a bishop has, has been bridge building trying to bridge the gap between conservative and liberal people and conservative and liberal bishops, the ability to build relationships with people and not have things based on our theological differences has been important. And I think maybe that's one of the contributions I've made. Mm -hmm. You also have an interest in monastic expressions of the faith. How are you expressing that interest and why is it an important facet of your faith? Well, for extroverts, um, being any place where we're forced to be quiet mm -hmm. is, is really very helpful. And um, I would not have thought that uh, the monastic experience would be as important as it has become. The first time I visited a monastery, it seemed like a very other place, mm -hmm. and um, I, I didn't feel very at home. But over time, getting to know uh, different monks, getting to know uh, various orders, um, I found myself very at home in the silence of monastic life and find I really need to uh, make regular pilgrimages to um, the monastery in Cambridge where I'm an associate. That's an important part of my life, and when I don't do it, I feel it and mm -hmm. can see it. Are there ways that you've discovered that you can bring that experience into your everyday life? Well, it's very interesting to me the way um, the monks go about spiritual direction. And um, very often, you know, we're worried about we're not praying enough, we're not doing this enough. It's kind of a guilt-ridden sort of experience. And by and large, the, the monks that I've worked with are, are very 
grace-filled and really focus on that aspect of the Christian faith. One monk told me, pray as you will and not as you won't. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's ancient monastic wisdom, but it it really is applicable today. And I try to bring that to the priest I work with, um, uh, candidates for holy orders, and the lay leaders in the diocese. I understand you didn't start out as an Episcopalian. How did your spiritual journey toward ordained ministry unfold for you? Well, I grew up with parents who are part of the Church of the Brethren, and we weren't very active, but in uh, high school, I was invited to a uh, youth gathering, and that's really where I experienced Christian community, um, maybe at its best, Mm. Uh, people praying for one another, caring for one another, and I thought, if that's what Christianity is about, I'd like to be a part of that. So I'm very indebted to that congregation in um, Kettering, Ohio, Prince of Peace, for the kind of uh, leadership that they provided for young people at that time. Mm. Then I went to college um, at Miami of Ohio, and there there was a a wonderful Episcopal chaplain, Rona Harding, and she was uh, one of the first women ordained to the priesthood in the Diocese of Southern Ohio. And she introduced me to the prayer book. Um, She gave me a book of common prayer, and I led a Compline service. Mm -hmm. And and I realized that any person who read this book could lead uh, beautiful worship. And it didn't depend upon the charisma of the leader, the preacher. And, And that was powerful to me. This week, the church observes Trinity Sunday, and the lectionary texts are from Proverbs 8 and Romans chapter 5 and John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. All of these allude to the three persons of the Trinity. Would you read the gospel lesson for us? Sure. Jesus said to the disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This isn't a doctrinal teaching of Jesus's, really, but he reveals something of the relationship of the three persons of the Trinity, the guiding spirit who glorifies Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Father. Do you think the disciples were able to understand what Jesus was talking about here? Well, I think as you read the Bible, you see that the disciples were too close to the forest to see the trees. Uh, They often miss what Jesus is trying to explain to him. And I think in this gospel, Jesus uh, acknowledges that there are things that they can't hear, that they can't bear, that they can't understand. Um, And and I think there are still things that uh, we in our Christian lives can't hear, can't bear. Dean, we look forward to hearing your sermon. It's entitled, What Kind of Math Is This? Thank you for being with us. It's been my privilege.
In her book, Circle of Quiet, Madeline Leigh Ingle repeats Dorothy Sayers' story of a Japanese man who's politely listening to a Christian who's trying to explain the concept of the Trinity. The Japanese man is very puzzled. Honorable father, very good. Honorable son, very good. Honorable bird, I do not understand at all. Madeline observes, very few of us understand honorable bird, except to acknowledge that without his power and grace, nothing would be written, painted, or composed at all. To say anything beyond this about the creative process is like pulling all the petals off a flower in order to analyze it and ending up having destroyed the flower. Trinity Sunday is one of those Sundays when the preacher has to be careful not to pull all the petals off the flower while attempting to analyze it. It's a task easier said than done. After all, this is the only doctrinal feast day to make its way onto the church's calendar. It's the only feast day which doesn't celebrate a person like a saint's day or an event like Christmas or Easter or Pentecost in the entire church year. No wonder preachers so often get lost in the weeds on this unique Sunday. This is one of those Sundays which reminds us that some things just have to be believed to be seen. In my teenage years, I can remember rejecting the simplistic versions of Christianity which had been handed to me as a boy, and the complexities represented in Trinitarian theology was part of what drew me back to the Christian faith. The doctrine of the Trinity is a celebration of the triumph of the infinite hues of complexity over a monochromatic simplicity. It's the reminder that the central metaphor for God, for Christians, is a diversity encapsulated within a unity, and as the ancients concluded, complete in its numeric simplicity and integrity. Biological diversity is nature's way of preserving and propagating life. But diversity, when it comes to race or class or even sexual orientation, can feel like a threat to our own values and lifestyles. Sociologists tell us that in early American towns, the richest person and the poorest person never lived more than 200 yards away from one another. They often had to walk by one another's dwellings during the course of a typical day. They were part of the same community, and they were connected in a way we can now only try to imagine. How different it is when rich and poor are separated by miles of real estate and then gated and fenced off from one another. How different it is when we don't share the same schools or the same hospitals or even the same churches. When we don't experience diversity of class or race in our day-to-day -day existence, we start to lose touch with one another, and the social fabric which binds us together begins to unravel at the seams. But achieving theological diversity can be just as difficult as achieving any other kind of diversity. Perhaps it's even more difficult, because when we're dealing with what we believe to be eternal and sacred truth with a capital T, we're not all that open to alternative approaches. We want our religious truths to be pure, 
immutable, crystalline. We want to believe our particular corner on God has no other inhabitants or trespassers. The very Reverend Richard Bauer writes, the fear and insecurity that draws people into rigid propositional statements about God and creation blinds them to the reality that all theological reflection flows from particular histories and contexts that shape how we understand God and the divine work among us. For Christians, the Trinity is the primary symbol of community that holds together by containing diversity within itself. The Trinity is an attempt to express an ineffable truth using a symbol, a metaphor for the different aspects and activities of God's personhood. It makes for very strange math. The Cappadocian theologians, who included Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nazianzus, and Gregory of Nyssa, all theologians writing in the 4th and 5th centuries, viewed the number one as no number at all because it had no diversity. It possessed no discernible strength. Isn't that interesting? The number two was weak as well in that it was only a dualism. At best, it could only be two sides of the same coin. The number three, then, was considered the first real number in that it had an innate stability, a complexity, a diversity, if you will, which made it durable and strong. And the Trinity is not the only symbol of diversity for Christians. After all, the Bible itself, with its two creation accounts in the book of Genesis and its four Gospels, each one enriched by a strikingly different approach to telling the story of Jesus and his ministry, symbolizes a unity that is anything but uniform. These multiple attestations to the truth help us to begin to comprehend the complexity of Jesus and the mystery of the incarnate Christ. The Son of the living God can't be verified by one lone witness. It requires a diversity of witnesses, a host of people who see that story, who witness that truth through their own individual lenses. Theologians throughout the centuries have found the doctrine of the Trinity a pretty rich theme to mine, and some of the most creative theology done in the last 50 years has been done in this theological neighborhood. St. Patrick is said to have explained the Trinity to the Celts by using a shamrock, three individual leaves, yet still one plant. Augustine said the Trinity was best understood as the lover, the beloved, and the love which exists between them. Tertullian, arguably the most curmudgeonly theologian of the early church, waxed poetic as he used the metaphor of the Trinity as a plant, with the Father as the deep root and the Son as the shoot that breaks forth into the world, and the Spirit as the force which spreads beauty and fragrance on the earth. In our day, contemporary Brazilian theologian Leonardo Boff helps us understand the Trinity by describing it as a primal community, just and equal within the reality that is God, and therefore a model for human society. 
in some ways, the Trinity is the first community, the model for how we're called to connect with one another without prejudice, without inequality, without competition, and always with perfect love. It's not the Trinitarian theology where a Trinitarian God is too complicated to understand. It's finally that a Trinitarian God is too complex to be managed or manipulated by all of us who think we know better than God. We see all kinds of issues in black and white, but we live our lives in color. The complexity of the Trinity means that spirit and flesh live inextricably bound to one another. It means that the human and the divine are connected in an eternal dance. In fact, the early theologians used the Greek word perichoresis, peri meaning around and choresis meaning the infinite dance with the Godhead in which we all join hands in one great circle. And as we all dance to the center of life where God resides, we all move closer and closer to one another. So does this strange math have any relevance for your life? Just what would it mean to your own faith to see the possibility of God in the greatest possible diversity, which would necessarily include God being present in the most fractured places of your life? Imagine God present in both the high and the low, the good and the bad, what would it mean to discover God in the abandoned, the forgotten, and the mostly broken places in our lives and realize it's the diversity of God that makes it possible for God to be present in all those places? What would it mean for us to discover God in the midst of our mistakes, our pain, our depressions, our illnesses, even our deaths? Perhaps we would find a God who is close and walking with us instead of a God who feels distant and judgmental. Augustine once told students who studied the doctrine of the Trinity, lest you become discouraged, know that when you love, you know more about who God is than you could ever know with your intellect. I find that comforting. Trinity Sunday is a traditional day for baptisms in the liturgical church. We pray those who will be baptized on this day will, with all of us, imagine a larger and more complicated God than we have previously imagined. May those who begin their Christian journey in baptism this day find deep community and true fellowship in the midst of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And finally, may we all come to love a triune God who loves us and saves us in the ways only a complex and diverse God can. Now that's the kind of math we can all get behind. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us your servant's grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship 
and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Bishop Dean Wolf offers some final thoughts on his message today with our host, Peter Wallace. Dean, Christians have been trying to figure out the Trinity since Jesus walked the earth, and, and we're not likely ever to nail it down, and that's probably as it should be, isn't it? I think all theological questions are just beyond our grasp. Mm. We ask these great questions, we go on this journey, um, but we never expect to fully comprehend it. And when we think we've comprehended it, we've usually comprehended a very small part of what is the truth. You said for Christians, the Trinity is a metaphor for the different aspects and activities of God's personhood. The Trinity is the primary symbol of community that holds together by containing diversity within itself. That aspect of diversity is important, and yet Sometimes, as you point out, experiencing and understanding diversity itself isn't easy in a practical, let alone a theological sense. Diversity is difficult to achieve. How do you think we might do a better job of trying to achieve diversity in our relationships? Well, I think first we need to value it. Uh, We need to authentically realize that diverse relationships with diverse people actually makes us better, Mm -hmm. makes us wholer. We become more the the creatures of God when we're interfacing with the diversity of God's creation. And so in the beginning, I think you just have to say, this is important. And then be willing to move outside of the patterns and the comfort zones that we live in. I, I find myself doing the same things, going to the same places, talking to the same people. But but if I can move out of some of those patterns, I meet different people. I come into relationship with people who are much poorer or much richer, people who are of different racial backgrounds. And that's important, I think. You also suggested that we might understand the Trinity by describing it as a primal community and as a model for how we are called to connect with one another without prejudice, without inequality, without competition, and always with perfect love. Sometimes it seems we're very far from that image. How might we work on that in our communities of faith? I think first we have to decide to work on it. So much of the Christian journey is about being transformed, of being willing to be changed by the things that we believe. For the Christian to um, read the Bible, to understand uh, or to attempt to understand what Jesus is calling us to do, and then to respond to it, I mean, that's, that's really the call, but we don't always do that. Mm. And um, it becomes sort of a spectator sport as opposed to Um, I think, allowing ourselves to be transformed. Um, We say we want transformation, just like we say we want diversity, but Mm -hmm. sometimes we're not really so sure. Mm -hmm. It means giving up control, and that's hard. 
Dean, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind this week? Well, my hope is that that people will see that that a complex God is a God that can understand and connect to them wherever they are, that uh, whether they're having the best time in their life or whether they're going through the deepest valley, we have a God who understands and is with us. And I find that in my own life deeply compelling, and I hope other people will find that compelling as well. Bishop Dean Wolf, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. on Jam Radio 
say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> the only way got the program. One inspiration on Jam Radio 2.1. That is Dorita Clark. Dorita, Dorita Clark Cole, and back to you. Thanks for listening. Tune in. Don't forget, we'll be on Sunday morning at 5 a.m. Sunday morning, 5 a.m. For morning inspiration, your Sunday morning, early Sunday morning gospel program. And, of course, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, it's Nation Talk, all here on Talk to You and Jam Radio. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is another drive. I just got good news. 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 I
and start chopping with the Karate Glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the Karate Glove, and I have just one and a half words for you. Hi-ya! The Karate Glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood, concrete, brick walls, trees, small cars. It can even chop through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high time! Is this radio spot where Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. 
But, but then, then right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Yeah, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself. And her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. They call, send letters, email, and visit your home. They're not friends or family. They're con artists, scammers, and criminals. In times like these, it's important to learn how to protect yourself. Credit card schemes, bogus investment opportunities, and free vacation scams are just a few ways that today's criminals target you and your family. Protect yourself. Never give anyone your social security number, credit card, or bank account information unless you initiated the call. Stay informed of current scams by contacting your Attorney General's Office and Better Business Bureau. If you're a victim, reporting the con to the local authorities will prevent others from suffering the same fate. To learn more about how to keep your family safe from con artists and scams, visit ncpc.org. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 
Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of sin, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me things so undeserved if you gave your very life for the voices of a
that's going to do it for yours truly until Saturday night, tomorrow night at 10 p.m. for Quiet Story Inspirations. Let's hope to see you then. God bless you. Have a wonderful and blessed weekend.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.